and welcome to the At Peace Parents podcast. I'm Casey, and I'm here to empower you in your decision-making as a parent of a demand-avoidant child. My goal is to share insights that will generate aha moments and support your connection with your child. I'm a mom of two amazing little boys, one of whom is PDA, and I've worked with hundreds of parents just like you to teach them how to lead their child out of burnout and find the clarity, peace, and sense of community they need. Siblings and pathological demand avoidance. This is a topic I get asked about all the time, and it's difficult for me to answer in a blanket response because often parents need to think about siblings and the impact of their child with PDA the behavior on the sibling through the lens of decision making rather than stopping the behavior. So today we're going to talk, we're going to kick off the Coffee with Casey talking about this topic. And I'm going to start by illustrating some of the things I know you experience by talking about my own experience with this. So I have a five-year-old, recently turned five-year-old in November named William, and I have a nine-year-old, almost nine-year-old PDA son. Okay, so this is something, a topic that's near and dear to my heart. It's something I think about all the time. It's something I work with parents (laughs) on all the time, but it's a complex topic. So the reason I thought about this topic for today's Coffee with Casey was because this week I went to a toy store with my younger son, William, to spend some of his birthday money from his Nana at a local toy store around the corner. So we got there and he picked out some slime for himself, two types of slime actually. And then he was laying on the ground and I could see that he was a little bit agitated and he was like, what are we going to get for Cooper, his brother? And I started to jump into like problem solving like, oh, you know, Cooper really likes football. Here's a little plush football. And then I realized, wait, it does he really want to get this for Cooper because he wants to do something nice for his brother? Or is he actually feeling stress and knowing that if he gets something as a birthday present for his for his own money, his brother may perceive a lack of equality and have a meltdown or have a big equalizing reaction. So I paused and I said, you know, William, we don't have to use your money to get anything for Cooper. It's your choice and it's totally okay not to get anything for him. And he was like, okay, I'm going to save my money for myself. And I was like, great right? And then on the very short drive home, he asked me, is Cooper going to have a meltdown? And in that moment, you know, we're four years into this approach of nervous system accommodation, looking at my son through the root cause of nervous system activation due to constant perceived losses of autonomy and equality. And so things have improved immensely. It's not perfect, but things have improved immensely. So, and also my confidence as a parent has as well of understanding like if Cooper has a meltdown, I know how to deescalate. I know what to do in those situations. It's not my preference. However, it is something that I can do. So when little William said, is Cooper going to have a meltdown? And he was really worried. And I said, you know what? Mommy will handle that. That's not your job. And he said, okay, mama, well, I could go get Doggo, our service dog. And I said, yeah, you could help by getting our service dog. But you're not the parent, are you? Are you a kid or a parent? And he was like, I'm a kid. And I was like, yeah, you are. Mommy's going to handle it. 
So this is an illustration of how far I've come and how much more of an equilibrium we have with the topic of siblings. But it hasn't always been like this. And it's something that's been a fear of mine and a struggle throughout the years that I've been working through this approach. So let me just give you some examples of how it has impacted my son's sibling and our family. So first of all, because my PDA son has an activated nervous system and like your children or teens, when the nervous system is activated, it actually exacerbates the sensory sensitivities, right? So when my son was closer to burnout, he was so sensitive to sound, to light, to everything around him that having lights on in the living room would be too agitating for him. However, <laughs> I had a two-year-old who wanted to play with toys, right? That he couldn't see and I was the caregiver. And so I couldn't necessarily like split the two-year-old down in the basement and my six-year-old upstairs who needs my constant signals of nervous system safety because he is feeling unsafe in his body, right? So additionally, the clinking of toys, the speaking, even when my younger son would speak, my my older PDA son would growl, say, stop talking. And this does still happen sometimes where when he has cumulative nervous system activation and they're watching a show together on the big screen in the living room, he'll say, you know, the younger one will laugh and he'll say, stop it right? And it's a very traumatizing experience for another human who is not cognitively or developmentally capable of understanding the deep why and the fact that this isn't actually personal. This is a reflection of equalizing, which I can understand as a parent. And this is part of like the work we do here together on this page and through my program is like, even if we don't like it, we can cognitively override our, ner our own nervous system of like, why does my child hate me? Why are they constantly criticizing me, etc.? And understand like, oh, this is equalizing behavior. But when you have a two, three, four, five-year-old, that's not a possibility, right? And so the experience of my younger son was one of constantly being targeted, right, and controlled. Or times when my older son would come in the house and I would watch physically my younger son's body tense. I would see his demeanor change. I would see the tension in his face. And I realized like this is traumatizing for him, right? There were also moments of sweetness, right, where there would be meltdowns and I would hear my little two-year-old be like, it's not your fault, Cooper. It's not your fault because he'd hear me say that to him. But it is a very, very difficult experience. And so often parents ask, like, how do I stop equalizing behavior? How do I stop controlling behavior? How do I stop this constant struggle where like what's fair is that the younger sibling has a birthday and that we put attention on them. However, because of the neuroception, the subconscious perception of threat of our PDA child that goes off anytime they feel like someone's above them, even if they can cognitively understand they have a birthday too, it's going to activate them. And then the equalizing behavior, the controlling the behavior, the, you know, growling, hissing, if it's a more externalized expression, destroying their things, criticizing them, etc. 
cetera, it comes to the weakest, which is often a younger sibling or the safest and or the safest, which would be me or the other lead parent. And so in those moments, and for myself included as a mother, like my deepest desire is to be able to give you a like fix or a strategy of like, do this or say this thing, and then that will stop. But if I said that, (laughs) it would be a reflection of like not being truthful, right? Because in the moment of activation, in the moment that your PDA child or teen is having that controlling, reactive, fight-flight behavior, it is not a behavior that is under their conscious control. And so if we try and stop it with strategies like the right script or the right tool, the right fix, then we're going to increase their activation. They're actually going to double down on the behavior in the moment. And so there aren't many things in my world or that I teach that are black and white. We're always looking at like, how can we pan out? How can we see the nuance? How can we see the gray space and find space within these constraints? However, a constraint and a limitation that all of us experience and cannot change is the fact that in any given moment, we're either activating or accommodating our PDA child which means if we set a boundary or a limit when there's siblings involved, it will activate the nervous system of the PDA child or teen. This doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It just means that this is a cost-benefit decision. So before we even think about what to say or how to de-escalate or what tools to use, we have to take a step back and look really honestly at our decision-making right? And so this is a tool that I work through with parents for months in the Paradigm Shift program. And we take each person who submits a question, we actually take their situation and we work through a cost-benefit decision with their unique constraints and their unique situation, which includes like, where is your son or daughter or child in the burnout equilibrium recovery cycle? The decisions we make when they're in burnout in terms of limits and boundaries are very different if we've been working through a PDA lens for a year and we have a solid foundation of trust. So I ask, how long have you been working through the PDA lens? Is your child in burnout? We look at the indicators and then we look at the constraints of the family. Finances, are they single? Do they have external support? Do both parents work full time? and the constraints of the parents themselves, right? So I saw on the post that I had about unschooling, like when your child refuses school, like physically fighting you won't go to school, right? A lot of people getting upset about like, I can't unschool, I can't homeschool because I'm a single parent and I have a job. That's totally fine. We take that as your constraint, right? And then we make decisions within that. So let me use the siblings as an example for me. But remember, an illustration is not a prescription. It's not an answer. It's just an illustration. How to use a tool, which I want to teach you because it's your portal out of the stuck place, okay? So back to the siblings. At a certain point, when I was caregiving, I realized I could not stop the behavior (laughs) of equalizing against my younger sibling when it was me and both kids. I couldn't do it because what would happen is I would end up having to put myself physically in between them and then I would be the recipient of the physical equalizing behavior and my younger two, three-year-old non-PDA son was traumatized seeing the screaming, hissing, growling and physicality of me putting myself physically between him and his brother who was trying to scramble to get to him. So I had to look at that clearly of like, okay, 
I can keep doing what I'm doing, right? And sometimes we have to. Sometimes we have to, and I did for years, but like when we're making decisions, we can say, okay, on the weekends, for example, I can decide to take care of both kids because my husband has extra work to do or he needs a break and then I'll get a break later or we can all spend time together, okay? So the cost of that situation in my family was that my PDA son's nervous system was constantly activated when he was near burnout because the siblings' presence activated that root cause of like, I'm not equal to or above this other sibling, right? So it's just the mere presence. It's not even anything that's happening. It's just the situation. (laughs) So that's what's happening, right? Like I can't change the neurotype of my child. So he's being activated. He's equalizing against his sibling. He's melting down. I'm super activated. My husband's really upset. Everybody's really activated, okay? That's the cost. However, the benefit is we get to stay together as a family and we have the infrastructure to potentially take real breaks. And I know there are single parents out there. I'm just illustrating. Or I can separate the kids and we can do one-on-one. And of course, I have a supportive husband, so this is unique. And we won't spend time together. So that's a cost to the marriage. It's a cost to my mental health that I like never get to spend time with my husband. However, both kids do better. And the benefit is that there's not constant equalizing and traumatized experience from the younger sibling. Neither of these choices are ideal. It's not ideal to have to completely separate a family for years, right? Like, don't take family vacations together for three years. We don't do Christmas holidays together, like separate states, okay? So these are my two choices. And so a lot of parents see these choices as like the end of the story, right? Because it's like, well, these are two shitty options. And we can apply this to screens. We can apply it to lots of different situations. But right now we're talking about siblings. What's going to create movement and unstuckness is accepting that these are the two options, that there isn't an option C of like, I can figure out some magical solution or there's some expert out there who has more intelligence or resourcefulness than I do that somehow is like hiding the secret that they have to solve this problem because there isn't a solution. It's just constraints. It's choosing between shitty option A and shitty option B. And what's healing though, this is the despairing part, but the hopeful part is as soon as we see that and accept it, truly accept those are my only two options and there's no wrong answer. It's just that like, I don't like either of them. We start to actually radically accept the truth of our lives. Okay. And this feels terrible, right? Like feels terrible to think like, okay, I guess I just don't get to spend holidays or weekends with my husband from here into eternity. Right. But the paradox is that as soon as we accept that and feel the grief and the rage and resentment at our life, right? And at our constraints, we let it pass through us. And then there's space and energy that we can allocate towards resourcefulness and creativity within those constraints. And I don't want to get too like in the ether here. I want to ground it in the sense of like, once I finally accepted, like, 
I cannot take care of both of these kids safely at the same time where my son is in burnout right now in his externalized expression. When I accepted that, it shifted my energy away from trying to figure out a tool that I couldn't figure out. Like, I swear, you guys, I was like going to every conference and trying to figure out every parenting technique of like, what do these experts say to solve this? And none of them had the answer. And so when I finally stopped seeking. I finally stopped being like, they've got an answer and I am the one who has to find it. And rather I was just like, this is my situation. I can't caregive for both of them safely. I could actually pan out, release some energy. And that's when I started to get creative, right? And I thought like, okay, I have these constraints and limitations with the sibling situation. However, what are my strengths and advantages? Like I spent years working on peace building research in Colombia, South America. I spent 16 months in Colombia and met amazing peace builders who I'm still in touch with. And I was like, well, maybe they want to come live with us and help me caregive or at least help me like keep everybody safe. And they did come right? To help me caregive for six months, like two Colombian peace builders in their late 40s and 50s who were not phased by what I considered to be violence in my home because they had lived through a civil war and lots of actual physical violence and trauma. Okay, that's just an anecdote. Again, I'm not sharing this with you to be like, this is going to be your path, your story, you need to do it my way. What I'm sharing with you is the process that the tool facilitates of decision-making, of cost-benefit decision-making, the portal to radical acceptance is seeing clearly that there's only two options, and then really sitting with that, allowing the rage, grief, resentment to pass through, and then the space that remains is where, where you're going to find your resourcefulness. So, that's what I want to share with you about siblings. Of course, there are other more practical solutions. Like, you know, you're maybe going to need to use more screen time. Like, obviously, there's lots of accommodations that can reduce some of the activation in your PDA child or teen. But it works over the course of years, right? In the moment, an accommodation isn't going to fix behavior. The accommodations are meant to bring down overall nervous system activation consistently for months and years so that your child gets away from the threshold where they're constantly having a fight flight response. But like in the moment, we don't necessarily have the capacity to stop the behavior. And so we have to move into decision making. And it's okay if there's not a solution. We just pick the least bad option and we move forward and do the best we can. Okay. So I hope that like at the same time that it feels a little bit despairing or pessimistic to have to look clearly at the constraints of your life, it will free you. And it's not going to be smooth and it's not going to feel good when you're doing it, <laughs> but it will get you unstuck. And, and this is really at the heart of what I teach in the Paradigm Shift program. And we actually work on it together, but it's really hard for me to do it. And maybe I'll do a podcast with a parent so I can illustrate it. It's really hard for me to like respond to one person on Instagram without knowing like are you a single parent? Do you have any caregiving support? Can the kid attend school? You know, it's like there's so many decisions and constraints for your unique family, but the tool can stand alone and you can apply it even outside of parenting a PDA kid. 
And it does kind of go against some of what you see on the online, in the online space of like, we can manifest anything and there's no limits to our lives. And like, you know, the world is our oyster or whatever it is. And I'm just like, oh, that doesn't really apply <laughs> to our lives. But anyways, I'm so happy that we got to hang out and I will see you again soon. Okay, bye. Thanks everyone for being here with me at the At Peace Parents podcast. This is your source for all things related to understanding, supporting, accommodating, and advocating for your PDA child. To go deeper on any of these topics, check out my course offerings and masterclasses at the website www.atpeaceparents.com. To completely transform the way you think about and relate to your child and to bring peace and stability to your home, join us for the next cohort of the Paradigm Shift program. 